Hey, Judge, double enough and he makes it. 80,000. What's that, Judge? You're on, you're on. Welcome to Talking Giants. I'm your host, Bobby Skinner, coming to you previously recorded with my co-host, Justin Panic. Justin, we kind of have nothing to talk about as far as current news and affairs. I mean, we're going to get to tight ends, the, the long-awaited tight end positional review show. But we were fully expecting, after all the news that we got on Monday, Justin, we're like, oh, defensive coordinator, uh, D-line coach, QB coach, we thought they are going to start railing off. And we haven't had a single bit of real news since. It's just been interviews. Jason Garrett interview and Mike Shula interview. That's really the only news we've gotten besides a handful of assistants being uh, let go. Bobby, these are the episodes that make me most excited. Because actually, this is the first Talking Giants episode where I'm actually very relaxed. Where it's like, okay, we haven't hired a defensive coordinator. We haven't hired a head coach. Our head coach hasn't spoken. So these are the episodes where I get really silly, where I get really loopy. And uh, this is the episode that I'm most excited for for Talking Giants. Because of the fact that we have nothing to talk about. And I can just ramble on about a bunch of nonsense. Well, I have like t- like 10 pages of tight end notes. So we'll, we'll definitely talk about that. I don't know. Let's start with, though, with Jason Garrett. <laughs> And Mike Shula, everything points to Jason Garrett being the guy, except for the fact that it hasn't happened. Uh, I'm expecting it to be a Friday news dump, but there's a point that people have made that, you know what, maybe one of their offensive coordinators playing in the playoffs still. You know, maybe it's, um, I don't know, but maybe like it's somebody still in the playoffs. I, I don't know what the, the thing, but I, I think we're all assuming Jason Garrett at this point. Yeah. Uh, how many times have I talked about on this show that Ian Rappaport report going back to 2015 that John Mara and the New York football giants have been, uh, they've always been intrigued by Jason Garrett. And I think a perfect, perfect compromise, especially when you look at this from a PR stance, is to if you're going to bring in Jason Garrett, you bring him in as an offensive coordinator. Now, Bobby, I have to tell you, uh, I, I as a fan, you kind of have to separate, especially as a fan who who's a, who who's also a podcaster. You have to separate what your heart tells you and what your and what your brain tells you. My heart says, I want to stay away from Jason Garrett. I do not want any part of him, and that's what my heart is telling me. My heart and my feelings and my emotions, but my brain is telling me. And as I do more research and as I and as I try to be an intelligent human being who provides some sort of substance and value to, to the world, as a person with the brain, I am intrigued and I am extremely, extremely contri- intrigued. Where are you on this? Uh, I, I like the idea of Jason Garrett. I'm not like enthralled, like, oh my gosh, we have to go get Jason Garrett as our offensive coordinator. Jay Gruden was kind of the guy that got that energy out of me and Joe Brady was the one where it's like okay I would get really excited about that it'd be a lot of unknown and intrigue but I would have been excited about it but Garrett I I feel like is a smart one I don't want to get into all my reasons because when it does happen I want to you know spend some time on it but my brain says Jason Garrett I'm I'm completely fine with him being the office coordinator I mean he's been a pretty decent offensive coordinator in the NFL at times and like I said I, I want to save some stuff for when and if he is hired but the Cowboys offense was actually pretty damn good last year. And it's and it's been good even though he hasn't been the the play caller since uh, like I said we don't want we don't really want to we don't really really want to get into the specifics but he hasn't really been the primary play caller I believe since 2014 because it was Scott Linehan and then it went over to Kellen Moore but neither here nor there 
We'll save that. We'll save those thoughts. The Giants, we will wait though, for it to be official. Did they say Mike Shula is going to be the offensive coordinator to do like the same effect where it's like, ooh, we're interviewing Jason Garrett, and then everyone's like, no, 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 no. And then it's like Joe Judge. Everyone's like, okay, well, at least it's not Jason uh, Jason Garrett. Are they doing the same thing with, hey, Mike Shula? And everyone's like, oh, God, no. <laughs> and then it's like, just kidding, Jason Garrett. Are they are they this well, smart? <laughs> They're they're playing with the they're playing with the psychology of fans here to be like okay well at least <laughs> we're compromising okay at least it's not the other guy but Bobby I I kind of wanna I kind of wanna ask you this we we didn't really prep this thought and I'll kind of ask you this on the fly are all of the primary coaching staffs that need to be put together and and at least on the offensive side of the ball those offensive coordinator vacancies they're most likely filled like Shermer was hired by the Broncos. Uh, the Bears the, got their guy. Ma- I mean, I haven't been keeping Dallas tabs. got their guy. I guess so. Cleveland doesn't. Um, the Panthers got uh, Joe Brady. Nobody wants to go to Cleveland. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think the so, Giants are just taking their time for some reason. Um, it's been there's been no leaks, which has been surprising too. Yeah, and usually the Giants are all f- are all about leaks, but. My overall point is, is that maybe it's not the worst thing in the world if they are waiting, because typically, you know, you, you want to be a shark in this head coaching or in this coaching candidacy search. You want to get your guys, get your guys before somebody else swoops them up. But I feel like we're at a point now where a lot of the staffs are already kind of put together. So it may not be the worst thing in the world if they are waiting for something to open up. That that's actually that's actually a valiant thought. But however, Jason Garrett probably will be. In, uh, I'm I'm thinking Jason Garrett's going to be a news dump sometime Friday and sometime when most people are listening to this. But we also could be wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, we love being I, wrong. I live in fear of, of that happening first thing Friday morning. Uh, and then Jay Gruden, Jay Gruden, <laughs> it seems like he's taking the year off. Um, he's getting paid by the Redskins anyway, so I think he's just taking the year off. He he doesn't. Uh, it's it's just not happening with Gruden. I'd be blown away if he was on any coaching staff this year. That broadcasting money's talking, and it's not only talking; it's screaming right now. So I get, Jay, Jay Gruden's got a nice voice. He'll probably go uh go call some games for a year. It'll be fun. Yeah, do like just waste some time on ESPN. So yeah, that's where the offensive coordinator search is. You know, we talked a lot about Patrick Graham, Freddie Roach, and I, I keep on forgetting the offensive coordinator's name. What's his name again? Do you remember? What are your, or you mean the, the, Q, QB, you mean the coach. QB coach? Yeah. It's Jerry Shulinski. Jerry Shulinski. Yep, I was uncrampling my notes from the Sh- last Sh- No, 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 no. Shuplinski. Yeah, Shuplinski. I said Shulinski at first because I'm an idiot. Oh. Yes, that is true. You are an idiot. All right. I'm the best. <laughs> no, you're not. Anyways, the Giants did <laughs> let go of some assistants. Uh, tight end coach London Wells. Outside linebackers coach Mike Dawson. DB coach Everett Withers. Offensive assistant Ryan Roeder, defensive assistant Bill McGovern, and Gary Emanuel. I have no thoughts on any of these guys. Linda Wells went to the Cowboys. Linda, it's, L- it's Lunda. Why did it's, his name isn't Linda? Oh, wow. Who names a man Lunda though? You know, ooh, Glenn, uh, flashback to Glenda Jones. Um, one of my uh, one of my friends who's a Cowboys fan texted me, and he's like, "Oh, what do you what do you think of uh, what do you think of this tight end positional coach?" I'm like. I, I literally have no thoughts besides what you can search on Wikipedia. I am extremely pr- I will say this until the day that I die, Bobby Skinner. I am extremely proud of the work that we put in for these positional coaches and the fact that we had two podcast episodes that were over 50 minutes talking about 
positional coach is. <laughs> I don't know how you. I don't know how we did that. Hey, bro, it's it's that deep. That's that deep, deep research. Um, Wikipedia and YouTube is just going nuts. So yeah, I, I don't like. I said we don't know what's going on with the coaching search. Um, and and but if pe- but hey, listen, I, I was thinking, Justin, should I just become the best fake rumor guy? Because everyone's doing it. I mean, everyone's got a source. People who don't even have their last names on their profiles are like, uh, I'm hearing. Um, and I, th- I thought it was funny, the guy that did it. He's like, uh, I'm not willing to put my name on this quite yet. It's like, dude, your name is not even on your Twitter. What do you mean not willing to put your Ooh. name on it? It's, I just can't stand. Ooh. It's so old and played out. They're like, ooh, I'm hearing this. It's like, you're nobody. <laughs> and, and, one, and, and first of all, you're not going to get the offensive coordinator news. It'd be one thing if you were like, I'm hearing that the Giants are going to bring in linebacker uh, Josiah Tuefa for a workout after he got – or C.J. Conrad or something like that. That would be like, okay, like why would he make that up? But this is just like everyone's just taking estimated guesses, excluding Benjamin Albright. He's like, oh, things are looking in a positive direction. Like that doesn't mean – what does that say? That doesn't say anything. I'm so tired of fake news and fake rumors. Like it's the most aggravating thing about this time of year. And then draft. The draft is is insane because you can literally make up anything, and it's and it's a uh, from from this the guy that we're talking about without actually mentioning his name, partially because we we may not even know his name. He doesn't have his name as a profile. I don't know what this home. <laughs> There's other people doing it too. It, it's coming. It's coming from his friend. It's coming from his buddy. You know, his buddy Joe down the block. I heard. I heard from a source something which is reliable source. <laughs> I, what did what did your dog go? What did what did Lucy tell you? What did your what did your pit bull Lucy tell you? Did she does she have any updates on the Giants offensive coordinator? Lucy, search? don't move if Jason Garrett is becoming the offensive coordinator. Didn't move. Jason Garrett, next offensive coordinator. Make it wow. the show title. All right. Boom. Any other stuff going on? We started our smart draft stuff. I just want to say I'm in love with Andrew Thomas. Um, don't want to get too deep into that. George Young goes to the Hall of Fame. Odell's getting arrested. I mean, what where do we go from here before we could dive into these tight ends? Ooh, that didn't sound great. Ooh, yikes. The good um the good bridge that connects George Young to Odell Beckham Jr. To stop me if you ever heard that before. Um <laughs> George Young says, he he has one of George Young's George Young's famous quotes says, We are not in the business of well adjusted human beings. And that's the game of football. And I think he clearly kind of learned that possibly from uh, Lawrence Taylor's days, but I'm sure that he, he came in, in in touch with some other players who weren't exactly well-adjusted human beings, partially because football players are kind of insane. But here's a point that I had on uh, Bleeding Blue, a podcast that I that I have, and I, and I, and I used to do f- kind of full-time before I came on Talking Giants, and I had this point over the spring and summer. Now, Bobby, I want to make a pact right now that unless Odo Beckham Jr., says anything bad about Daniel Jones. He can say something bad about the Giants. But unless he says something bad about Daniel Jones, since Daniel Jones is our both of our best friends, I met Daniel Jones, and one day you will interview Daniel Jones. Unless he says something bad about him, we do not talk about Odell Beckham Jr. Is this agreed, or this is I the last time? I fully agree, you agree because I, I live by the code that if something's bothering me, I, I'm not afraid to admit it. Now, I will say with this, I know I put out a joke about, like, oh, the arrests. Uh, stats between the you know through the trade like it was just a joke, but I'm actually I'm honestly at a point like where I just don't feel the urge to say anything about Odell anymore. Like he just doesn't bother me. Obviously he's not doing anything Giants related, but Odell's Odell, and like I'm just like nothing that he did over these past few days like made me like have that urge to like ah, I need to tweet out something about this. Besides obviously the joke about him being arrested. Right. 
and I'm I'm with you because the, there there's this thing that happens to my brain that when you're when you're no longer in blue, you're kind of irrelevant to me. You you just kind of are. You know, I was a guy that like disagreed with the trade initially, and now especially after what I'm going to share what I'm going to share soon and briefly, um, I initially disagreed with the trade, but also it's like okay, you're gone. You're no longer in blue. I could honestly almost care less about you. And I know that's that's more of almost like a, a baseball perspective because the NFL is a is a league where you can follow the entire league, whereas baseball it's very much team centered and team centric. But again, neither here nor there. We're not in the business of well-adjusting human beings. I need to affirm the Giants because this is like the first offseason that we're seeing Odell being Odell. Like Odell Beckham Jr. is being Odell Beckham Jr. And <laughs> and it's not good. <laughs> Honestly, I have more beef with Baker Mayfield and Kim Jones at this point. Literally, like when Kim Jones says something or Baker Mayfield says something, it annoys me 10 times more. It really does. I don't know. I don't even want to spend any more time on it. Uh, we have nothing to talk about, so we had to talk about something. But I do want to affirm the Giants. Like, think about how much they actually had to keep under the wraps and under the table through all of these oh, years. Yeah. All of these years. Like, we've seen in one year, in one year since he's been gone, the fact that he's done all these things, he's said all these things. Now, granted, this is the first time that he's ever had any criminal, <laughs> criminal run-in, but... The people who are like, how do they going to arrest him for that? Those people have no, and I know there's some listeners, I'm offending you, but let me let me say this in a nicer way. Reality, you get arrested for way less than that. You may not agree with it, but I'm telling you, assault on an officer can be the smallest of things. Like if you're, t- like say if you're in a car chase and your tire pops and you spin out and your car is facing a, a police officer, that's aggravated assault on a, on a police officer. Like aggravated assault doesn't mean he's like beating the guy. It just means he he like like made contact with him or, or like a, an, a threat in a sense. Like that that would have got anybody else put in jail quick. So that's all I want to say about that. Is like trust me that him not being arrested on site, he should have been like lucky for that. You know, formations and personnel. <laughs> very very prevalent drop. The cop was an idiot too. He was like saying. I, I had the urge to punch him in the face, but I didn't. It's like, yeah, dude, you're a cop. You don't just punch people in the face. So he was an idiot too. <laughs> like, I mean, I get that it was like a ruckus, but at the same time, it's like it's the LSU football team. You're not in any real threat there. Like they're just having fun. That's probably the funniest part about this entire story. I had a strong desire to punch him in the face after he slapped him I would have too, but you don't admit that. <laughs> Very professional courtesy, Mr. Officer. Just don't like you, you can have that feeling, just don't admit it. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, uh, end, end of my point, end of my story. I affirm the Giants organization for doing a good job for trying to manage this human being for a few years because it's clearly very difficult to do. And that's my point. That's it. Should we take a break? Yeah, let's take a break and let's move on to the tight end positional review. Review. Come on, pay attention in there. Let's go. We got a beautiful day. Work. Play fast. Play fast. Whoa. Ah. All right, the tight end group. We got four guys, Evan Ingram, Caden Smith, Rhett Ellison, Scott Simonson. Justin, let's start with Evan Ingram. Another season of injuries. That's 13 games in the past two seasons he's missed. Eight games this year. Um, five games in 2018. So the injuries are becoming – not becoming, they are a very real issue with Evan Ingram. When the first thing 
what's sad is the first thing you talk about with Evan Ingram now, Justin, is the injuries. And that is what makes me almost willing to move on if some kind of like good deal came along. And I'll talk about like we'll talk about how good of a player we think he is. But the injuries are, are like it's a very real issue. And a guy with two years left on his contract, like his value in a trade goes down and down with every passing second. Yeah, Bobby, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. And I think we're almost in the minority here in terms of what to do or what we think we the team should do with Engram kind of moving forward. But let me put up a case that's that says the Giants should possibly look to move Evan Engram, not move on from Evan Engram. There's a difference between saying you want to move on from a player and move a player to get some kind of value out of him. So I think that's a, that's a way to distinguish what the Giants should do with Evan Ingram. There's something to say about the risk you run by relying on Evan Ingram as your number one tight end. Uh, these last two years, this team, they've installed an offensive system with him in mind that goes from the spring all the way through training camp. And to go through that entire process and these last two years to only be available for the first four to five weeks of the season I'm sorry, you know, Engram is just too relied on of a piece to just disappear after the first four to five weeks of the season. And and in a way, what's worse is that he hasn't even he hasn't just disappeared. He's come back, but he hasn't been 100 percent and he hasn't been himself. And in a way, he's almost been a waste of space because he is playing hurt and he's playing injured. Uh, And I really don't want to sound like this guy that I'm, you know, blame the player because of injuries. I don't want to be that kind of guy. I don't want to be that kind of fan. But a line has to be drawn, especially since Rhett Ellison or whoever is backing him up. They aren't really reliable contingency plans. Yeah, and I'm not even really in the trade, Evan Ingram. I'm like, I'm actually, I'm playing about as as both sides of this as you can. Because, I mean, he's 25 years old. He's got two years left on his contract. And through the first five games of this season, he had 33 catches, 375 yards, and two touchdowns. Justin, at a 16-game pace, that's 106 catches, 1,200 yards, and six touchdowns. And then he gets hurt, and then he comes back, and he gets hurt again. He finishes the season with 44 catches, 577 yards, three touchdowns. That 16-game on pace, 88 catches, uh, 1,150 yards, and six touchdowns. Those are really good numbers. But the problem is, as big as a weapon it is, he's nothing when he's on the bench. And I know that's you know stating the obvious. But that's what makes it harder to, to be like, all right, let's move on. Because how valuable he is and the fact that we have a rookie QB, or well, now a second-year QB, who you don't want to take a weapons away from your young QB. You want to give him everything he can to work with. But the thing is, with Evan Ingram, it's just – the health. Because when he's on the field, he's an amazing player and he's a huge weapon for Daniel Jones. I mean, we saw it in game one what he did. His first touchdown pass was to Evan Ingram, 75 yards. Yeah, and, and that changed the entire complexion of that game. That was the first drive coming off of a bad half of football, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And that 75-yard catch, and also he he had an amazing and incredible one-handed catch that went like above his head. He had to contort his body in some kind of way during that Tampa Bay game, and he made an amazing one-handed catch. So he even has shored up uh, in, in bits and pieces and for stretches, he's even shored up his drop problem that he had his rookie year. He had two drops this year. And and I think both That's of them it. came in that Arizona Cardinal game. Both they of them were. came that, against that Arizona. horrible Arizona game. In the, in the rain. But Bobby, I just have to go back to the point. You know, you're putting an offensive system in place throughout the entire spring and summer 
with Evan Ingram as a guy and not and here's the thing Evan Ingram is not a normal tight end you're in you're installing an offensive system that even when you're running out of 11 personnel which is three wide receivers on the football field at one time the thing that makes Evan Ingram so great is that you can have a 11 personnel that turns into a formation with four wide receivers. So then that takes a linebacker out of the box. It takes a safety out of the box, especially if you're playing man coverage. And if you're not playing, you know, some sort of mixed zone, or if you're not, or if you're not playing zone coverage, if you're playing man coverage, that takes somebody out of the box because Evan Ingram would, you know, typically as a tight end would put his hand in the ground. So when you put in an offensive system that emphasizes Ingram as the number one guy, and then he's only relied upon for four to five weeks at a time. He'll miss four weeks and then he'll come back and then he'll miss more time. It's just, it's a bad look in the long term, in the long run of a very, very long season. When a football season, it's a marathon. It certainly is not a sprint. Evan Ingram has done a great job sprinting in his NFL career so far in terms of putting up big numbers in spurts, but not in the long term. And I think that's where, and I think we're agreeing on what the problem is for him. We're just arguing it in kind of different ways. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on, on everything. Now, the reason to not trade him is because like at this point, he doesn't really have any contract leverage. I mean, he's a guy who's played less than 60% of the snaps in the last two seasons. So he's not going to be demanding a contract. And if he is... At the end of the season, if he's like, I need a new contract, well, why is that going to be, Justin? It's because he had a, he just came off a really good season. So you kind of get the both the best worlds. And we'll talk about it. Justin, you know me. I love the draft as much as everybody. I love finding those third, fourth round guys. And you know what? Dave Gettleman's done a pretty damn good job of finding those guys. But what are the chances that a third, like say he gets traded for a third round pick, what are the chances that that guy becomes someone that is like productive to very productive or and and the chances that it's close to Evan Ingram's production is like none. The contrary to that point, Bobby, is the fact that we have a general manager for the main reason why you keep Dave Gettleman heading into this offseason isn't necessarily because he has all this cap space and he has all this cap room and we have all the confidence in the world that he can divvy up that, that cap space and free agency responsibly. What we have faith in Dave Guttelman in is, is his drafting ability, and we don't care what round it is. You know, what what round pick was Ryan Conley? What round pick was Darius Slayton? You know, we haven't seen right. Big George yet, but I'll tell you what, Big George has looked pretty darn good in camp when I was there over the summer. I was pretty I was pretty happy about what I saw from him, and, you know, obviously he's still to be determined. But, again, what I feel like this Evan Ingram possible hypothetical trade could do is it could make up for this Leonard Williams move that is still a head-scratcher, even though I like Leonard Williams as a player. I think he needs to be the number one priority for the Giants this offseason to make the trade worth something. You need to sign Leonard Williams. So if you trade Evan Ingram, a guy who hasn't been that reliable, now I don't think you can get a third-round pick for Evan Ingram. I think that's absurd. I think Twitter really? Twitter's throwing around trade scenarios. I, I don't because availability is the best ability, Bobby. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I could be wrong. I've never claimed to be right about anything. But I think a third-round pick, if I'm a, if I'm another team, I'm not giving up a third-round pick, a high-leverage pick for Evan Ingram, a guy who's barely who hasn't played more than like he's 10, played, 12 games the last two years. He's played 60% of the snaps in the last two years. I think Evan Ingram is because of how good the talent is and the fact that there's two years left on his contract. And I think there's teams that could be close to winning. Like we're in Evan Ingram away from being like an elite offense. I'm, I'm not, I don't know who that team would be. I haven't really looked at it, but I think a third round pick would be reasonable. But I, I did a poll last week, Justin, and 64% people wouldn't accept a trade for a third round pick. And I don't know. I kind of feel 
in that same boat as far as just Evan Ingram. Caden Smith muddies it a little bit. I mean, what, let's talk about Evan Ingram's blocking for a second. His blocking is not as bad as people make it out to be, but it's sure as hell ain't good. Um, and, like, Justin, something we've been talking about in this whole pass run debate, having a guy, a tight end who can block the edge is pretty important in the run game. And a guy who can't, who can more than just block the edge but can make some noise in the pass game, that's so huge for a team because it sets up the outside run. It makes the uh, defensive fronts be more honest where they don't just play tight ends as a wide receiver. They need to like put an actual defensive end on, on top of them. So that is the issue with Evan Ingram. They like Shermer found good ways to have Evan Ingram be an effective blocker, whether it was you know backside wham blocks or or running to the opposite side and things like that. But he also like his his blocking is not good though. No, and I, I really think it comes down to play strength. I mean, there's just there's nothing that Evan Ingram could do, you know, besides you know lift lifting all them weights. But at at this point, you know what what can you what can you really do if you're Evan Ingram to fix this problem that is play strength? He has great extension. His effort was there. His effort has been there since he's gotten out of college. That His effort when he blocks has never been a question. It's just been a matter of play strength. And when you look at the differences between the, the beasts of the NFL, as in Zach Ertz, the Kittles, the Kyle Rudolphs, uh, Travis Kelsey's, et cetera, et cetera, they're different athletes. You know, Whereas the conversation around Evan Ingram is, should he be converted to wide receiver? You know those those types of guys are just different athletes. Do you okay? So do you think there's validity to the move to the wide receiver thing? Because I don't see that at all. I think that takes no. away his advantage of my. I, I know a lot of people are like oh just moving the wide receiver. I do not see him in a wide receiver role at all. I don't see him being successful out there. No. Um. Uh. One of his now this is this is a very nitpicking weakness on Evan Ingram, but his strength is not in his first step acceleration. His strength is in his, when he gets to his third and fourth steps and beyond his speed when he gets past there. So acceleration and quickness isn't necessarily a strength and a plus of Evan Ingram, but his straight line speed, once he fully gets up to speed, that is where he is elite. So as a wide receiver, especially, you know, I I would, I would guess if you're, if your first and second steps aren't strong, since Evan Ingram isn't the biggest guy in the world, he would still be a mismatch out there, and he would still be a considered a big wide receiver. You would probably easily get jammed at the line of scrimmage, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you agree about, with that, Bobby? It'd be hard to see because we we you know we've seen him line up a wide receiver, but we've never seen him line up at an outside XZ receiver. So where right. in a slot, you're not really getting press coverage ever. So I don't know that would, I I wouldn't feel comfortable saying that. But yeah, uh, he's at you know six three. What is he two forty? Yeah, yeah, six three, which is actually more, which is actually more than I thought. Like, yeah, to be honest. so he'd be like a very big wide receiver, but I don't know. I just, I just, I don't see him in that role. I feel like that just ruins his mismatch that he has with linebackers and safeties. I, I would agree. I would agree. Now, I think if if the Giants got a second round pick, I would be like, okay, that's cool. A third round, I'd be all right with it. But you don't think either one of those are realistic? I mean, what would you take for you to be like, okay, I, I like this? I would I I would be elated with a third round pick because simply I, I look at I look at the precedent that has been NFL trades in the past and particularly NFL trades that have involved giants. Now you bring up a great point I mean, and something but, that I haven't really considered well, is that the fact forward, that Evan Ingram has yeah. Think I mean Leonard Williams got a third round pick, and that's that's exactly where I'm going. And it's I guess it's just a matter of do you view Leonard Williams. You know, to be just as valuable as Evan Ingram at at this point, I think ultimately what where we're where we're differing, Bobby, is where 
I'm valuing much more being on the field and the best ability being availability. I'm valuing that aspect of Evan Ingram's game or the lack of that part of Evan Ingram's game a lot more than you are. And I, and you're, what you're valuing more is the fact that he has two years left on his rookie deal, which I think is that is a very, very great point. That is that is a good chunk of time to have left on your rookie deal. And the thing is, if they're not, if like say it's a fourth, fifth round pick, I feel like you can get that same thing in a year from now. That would be my argument. Now, why don't we talk about Caden Smith? And that could kind of open it up a little more. I think Caden Smith is what makes me a lot more comfortable if they were to move on from a guy like Evan Ingram. Because, like, he didn't just flash. Like, he showed some consistencies in his play. I mean, he came in. Uh, the Jets game was his first game. He got the start. We're like, what's, what's the deal with that? He played 60% of the snaps. Um, you're like, are they just trying stuff out? You know, Red Ellison. I thought Red Ellison, Red Ellison had more production that game. I think he had one catch for like, what was it? We had one catch for one yard in that game. Like, okay, this isn't real. And we remember he was, you know, picked up off waivers from the 49ers when they let him go. 6'5", 252-pound, 22-year-old, six-round pick out of Stanford. And, you know, I went and watched a few of his plays from Stanford. Like, okay, nothing special. But you know what? He impressed. In seven games where he actually played, Justin, he had 31 catches, 268 yards, and three touchdowns. And at a 16-game rate, that's 71 catches, 613 yards, and seven touchdowns. Um, touchdowns are hard to do on the on-pace because you have two touchdown games. You may never have a two-touchdown game again. But the 71 catches for 613 yards, that's pretty solid for a guy who's blocking improved as the season went along. Yeah, and Bobby, I think you hit the nail on your head that with that very last point that you had. What impresses me most about Caden Smith is the fact that he improved as time went on. And I particularly look at his last two games, the one that he had against Washington and the one that he had against Philadelphia, as especially looking at his blocking as he took major, major jumps up in his ability in doing that. Now, granted, it's it's very difficult to, to move offenses in the middle of the season. So the fact that he just didn't stay consistently average or consistently mediocre in terms of his play and the fact that he ended the season on such a strong note that is what really gives me gives me hope his ability in finding zones and defenses when he's running routes I thought his ability to sit inside zones where multiple guys were around him and Daniel Jones did a good job of getting him the ball those final two weeks their chemistry was really seemed to be clicking and hooking up imagine what they could possibly do when they have a spring and a summer to work together uh, I think his blocking like we said it improved over the last two uh, over the last especially especially over the last two weeks, gets really good extension. And I thought especially his pull blocks, Bobby, where they would motion him to one side before the snap of the ball. They would motion him to one side, and then he would pull all the way back to the other side of the line of scrimmage. He would take out a linebacker. He would take out an edge rusher. I thought he did a great, great job in those pull blocks as time went on. Yeah, and I think a lot of times people just see, like, backup white tight end. He's got to be a good blocker. Like, I, I think people do say that. Because in that first Jets game, he was not a good blocker. He had some mistakes. He like Remember, that was the game where I think Saquon had one yard rushing in that game. A, like there was, a few, right. there was a couple of times where it could have been a big play sprung, and Caden Smith either didn't do a good job blocking or missed his assignment. But that did improve. I mean, I did a, a breakdown. In fact, I just put it on the YouTube of a block he had against uh, Zadarius Smith uh, against Green Bay, where he just like, like mauled this guy and opened it up for a nice run. Um, like He really improved as a blocker. And if he can become like a good blocker with the the passing, the catching ability that he has, I mean, he is what makes me more most comfortable with Evan Inger moving on. And I don't want to get sucked into like, like the oh he showed a little production at the end of the season, but like 
I don't know. I feel like that's pretty consistent, and we've seen it before with like on the Giants, where a lot of times these tight ends, like like Kevin Boss, who yeah, they're not going to get eight catches a game, but they're solid. They do a good job blocking, and those guys are almost more va- like they can be almost be more valuable than the speedy guy who can't block because like it's it's just consistency, and it makes the defense be more honest. That when Caden Smith is in the game, they have to respect the outside run much more than when they have Evan Ingram in the game, and that's just a fact. I think it all depends also on who they bring in as offensive coordinator too. If Jason Garrett is a guy that's going to be coming in here, I kind of think that Caden Smith needs to be your number two tight end. Now, that's not to say that he would have the same role as Rhett Ellison, where he would basically almost be non-existent when your number one tight end is is uh, is healthy. But we saw how many years in, with the with the Cowboys. I think back to how effective. Uh, Martellus Bennett and Jason Witten were before uh, Martellus Bennett uh, became a New York Giant. How effective those two were together? Uh, how is it a uh, is somebody with the last name es- no Lance yeah Escobar yeah. right Pablo Thinking Escobar of, yeah um, how effect yeah Pablo Escobar and Jason Witten how effective they uh, they have been to is it Pablo, <laughs> Pablo Escobar was the the old school coke dealer like like drug lord wow yeah. oh really. Really? Did I just did I just mention a a, a a cocaine drug dealer as a as a Cowboys well, he tight was, end? I wasn't even a drug dealer. He was a drug lord. Oh, he's a, oh ex, oh. Excuse me with the with the non correct titles. That's probably you one don't of know the, who Pablo Escobar is. No, now I yeah now I do now that I said it. But I that that's mis- your homework. Google Pablo Escobar. That mistake was actually that might be the worst podcasting mistake of all time. Really, it is. Like, if you said like Daniel Jones sucks, you'd get less flack than saying you don't know who Pablo Escobar. Then Pablo, then Pablo, no, but no, Pablo Escobar being the the Cowboys, uh, the Cowboys type. This guy was white. I should let you go with that. This guy was white. Yeah, but sometimes Latino people are are have like a white skin. That's true. That's true. That's true. Um. All right. So where where are we? Cowboys utilizing two tight ends. That's where we are. (laughs) Yeah. No. Should I just talking about cocaine? All right, I'm just going to end that point. I think everybody knows where I'm going. So, Bobby, why don't you why don't you take it why don't you take it back and please get us back on track? Yes, yeah, so, I mean he was pretty like important for these Giants in the last few games. I mean, he played 100 percent of the snaps in the last three games. I uh, did with Daniel Jones. He had five games, 26 catches, 221 yards, three touchdowns. So, I mean, that's over five. You know, that's a little over five catches per game for this guy who came on out of nowhere. Uh, his catch per target rate was 64% compared to Evan Ingram, 70, uh, 65%. So, like, um, when I go and look at the numbers, that might be, like, top of the team for a guy that had, you know, at least 25 catches or, or whatever it is. So, like, I don't know. I feel like he was pretty damn impressive. Daniel Jones felt comfortable with him uh, and not just, like, little – he became – like, he started out as, like, okay, he's a check down guy. Like, even that game he had the, t- the first touchdown in was the Chicago game, where it's like, okay, I had a one-yard touchdown. Like, you know, that's not impressive. I think he ended up having five catches for 19 yards. So, like, you know, the first game, one catch, one yard. Second game, five catches, 17 yards. And then from there on, it was six for 70. And then with Eli, it was two for nine and then three for 38. And then the last two games against the Redskins, where he, he showed up Landon Collins big time, six for 35 and two touchdowns. And then against the Eagles, eight catches for 98 yards. I mean, so he wasn't just – like a one game where he had two touchdowns and okay, that's cool. Like he was pretty fit. He was fairly consistent. And in those moments, she showed up big. Uh, I think that's also, that's My something. My man got a game can't... winner over Landon Collins. <laughs> Let's not forget <laughs> that, that. that. Could we, we also need to talk about that play. I'm going to be tweeting that out today as everybody's, as everybody's listening to this. I was talking with 
um, somebody from PFF. I'm friends and you I'm just, friendly you with. Just, you were just trying to get the listeners to hate you. What are you? Are you friends with Charlie Manson too? Charles Manson? No, the the serial killer. No, I am not. Yeah, same thing as PFF at this point with, with Giants. <laughs> wow. Fans. Even if it's not. <laughs> even if it's not. Hey, I, I'm not even saying it's deserved <laughs> that much, but that's the way it is around these parts. It really, really is. But anyway, I'm friend. I'm friendly with somebody at PFF and. I believe after that Washington game and we were talking about basically uh, privately, we were talking about how certain grades were reached and why certain, why certain throws are considered easy throws and easy targets, easy completions, et cetera, et cetera. We all, we all know the song and dance by now, but that, that walk-off touchdown that Daniel Jones through to Caden Smith to end that game, that was not number one. It was not an easy throw. And number two was not an easy catch. And it was a beautiful, beautiful route. We'll, we'll talk about Caden Smith first. Beautiful, beautiful route ran by Caden Smith where he took a stem step at the line of scrimmage as soon as the ball was snapped. He took a stem step to his left. It got Landon Collins' eyes. It got Landon Collins' hips or whatever kind of whatever kind of technique or mumble-jumble you want to say. It got him looking one way, leading one way. And then Caden Smith, he puts he plants his foot on the ground. He goes the other way. He goes to the right, he goes to the right corner of the end zone. Daniel Jones delivers a ball that only Caden Smith can catch it he reaches out and he really does make a nice nice catch and Landon Collins actually didn't have terrible terrible coverage on that play but Caden Smith was able to really execute a very well run route and Daniel Jones was was able to put the ball where only Smith could catch it so whoever thinks that's an easy throw I'm sorry you're bananas well it is easy because it was against Landon Collins and Landon Collins is not good in pass coverage sheesh sheesh no, Jeez. but you, you you make a good point. Like it, it was, it was a very good play, and Caden Smith caught a game winner, caught two touchdowns in that game, had a big game. So yeah, Caden Smith though he makes me comfortable with moving on from Evan Ingram. Like completely separate of what I think of Evan Ingram, he would give me some kind of comfortability. Let's just say this: if Jason Garrett is our offense coordinator, do you think we would need to acquire another tight end to complement Caden Smith in a Jason Garrett offense if we were to trade Evan Ingram? Or do you feel like Evan Ingram and Caden Smith would need to kind of thrive together in a Jason Garrett offense? Do you kind of see that happening? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, I really haven't studied Jason Garrett's offense yet. Two is better than one, but I mean, I, I'm comfortable with Caden Smith by himself. And that should lead to our next point. And Rhett Ellison, you better not delete that question or I'll lose my mind. Rhett Ellison. Okay, I won't. We don't edit on this show, dang it. All right, 6'5", Red Ellison, 31 years old, 6'5", 255, one year left on his contract. Last year, he missed six games in his 10. He had 18 catches, 167 yards, and one beautiful touchdown from Daniel Jones against the Cardinals. He had a catch per target rate of 64%. Yuck. He wasn't as good of a blocker as he's been in the past. He had some downright bad plays in the block and as a blocker. Now, Justin... Are you completely out on Red Ellison? Yes. Done. So done. Why? And I and, and oh pff, why? why? Okay. <laughs> it's particularly the fact that Caden Smith's production was so much better than Ellison. And that tells me almost everything I need to know about Ellison. The fact that Caden Smith came in here, he showed con- he showed better production as time went on, and the fact that Ellison has only gotten worse. Like I said, that really tells me everything I need to know. Uh, and like you said, Bobby, he was frustrating in his run blocking all year. I found myself 
yelling expletives uh, and that I won't repeat right now um, all year at his terrible technique and what seemed it what seemed it really did seem to be lackluster effort at times. Uh, he has always been, I guess, reliable in the passing game for what it's worth. Um, let me just say this too. I've always been disappointed how he hasn't been used as a fullback. Part of his strengths in the Vikings offense when, when Shermer was offensive coordinator, uh, go figure, was the fact that he was used as a fullback. Uh, I think his pass catching strengths could have been utilized more as a fullback, but we rarely ever saw that happen. So you add all that up. Um, and also the fact that Caden Smith was just uh, a lot better when he was getting paid a lot less and Red Olson's getting paid a lot of money to be a backup tight end. That's very frustrating to me, and I'm kind of done. Yeah, the cap space, like the he would save $5 million in, in cap uh, if he were to be cut. That doesn't bother me at all because I don't expect us to use all of our cap. So like cutting him isn't like, oh, we got to cut him from the cap space. Cutting him would just be like, hey, like we have better options. Um, and that's why I actually was, and people got mad at me. I was going into the season. I was like, why don't we just cut Red Ellison? Give us that $5 million to work with if we got to go get a guy like Trey Boston or something. Yep. And, you were on it. And, and ride with Scott Simonson. And people are like, oh, he's a very solid player. I'm like, but I feel like Scott Simonson can do the same thing. Now, Simonson got hurt. But I feel like there's guys who can do similar things to him for less money. So that's why I was kind of in the cut Red Ellison train. Now, this year, the money doesn't matter to me. It's just the fact that I think we can get better production. Um, maybe throw a guy like CJ Conrad, who, you know, he was like the, uh, a big hit in camp to bring him. You know, he's already been brought back as on a futures deal. Maybe put him in the third tight end role. So, yeah, it's just with Caden Smith and hopefully bringing in another young guy. It's just for me with Red Ellison, it's like, what's the point of having him on this roster? Unless it's like, why are we going to pay all this guy to be a third, maybe second string tight end? Yeah, I, I was a guy that said preseason, I kind of disagreed with you. I said, Let, let's keep Red Ellison around, the more the merrier, especially if, you know, going into the season, we were like, okay, one more time for Eli, and then the obviously the, the approach switched four games into the season, or two games into the season, and it said, all right, you know, let's let's gather as much weapons as we can for Daniel Jones and Red Ellison. You, you really could think in theory in theory, that he could be a part of it. This whole idea that you're seeing teams like the Vikings, teams like the 49ers, they're passing out of running formations, and it's so cool. They're utilizing play action, and it's so cool. Rhett Ellison could have been a part of it, so obviously it, it comes down to a, you know, it's part Pat Shermer, where you know he didn't choose to utilize that, where you're running out of 11 personnel over 70% of the time. And this especially happens when you're losing and you need to throw a lot in football games. And also it's a matter of Rhett Ellison just wasn't that good. And even when he was in during 12 personnel and he was used as the second tight end, he was used as a blocking tight end. It didn't go well because he wasn't that good of a run blocker. So just a, a disappointing all around. Yeah, and the thing is when Red Ellison is a good blocker, it actually does really help the run game. Uh, like it, it can like spring Saquon at times. He did help Engram. He did. He but they weren't they were never on the field together. <laughs> that, they did. Yeah. Ooh, like that's what I'm saying. Tough. Like they were actually like pretty good. Like when he was good, he was like actually made more of an effect than people realize. All right, last on the list, Scott Simonson, twenty seven years old, two catches for eleven yards. Now he missed the first eleven games of the season. He was cut after camp. When remember that Patriots game, he had that really nice catch. Was it from was it from Luletta or Tanny? Where he had that really nice was, diving catch in the end zone. It was from Luletta. Yeah, and he had a, he had a high ankle sprain, and he got cut because of that. He actually won Bobby's Banff of the Week for that. He comes back after um, Red Allison after Evan Ingram's injury. 
He only had two catches, 11 yards. He was an average at best blocker. I like Scott. I think we're going to get him on the show sometime this season. But he's been in the league for five years now. Or this will be his um, – this will be – yeah, this will be like going into his sixth year in the league. Um, he's got a career of, you know, 12 catches, 107 yards, and one touchdown. I just see someone else taking his place, not even a knock on him. I can, I, I, I'm completely fine running him as the number three tight end. I think he'd be good in that role. But I just see someone younger taking his place. Yeah, uh, you know, we obviously don't have much on-field production and on-field product to speak on behalf of Scott Simonson. But something that I've always just admired him about is the fact that fourth preseason game, the game basically means nothing in the large scale of things. But Are obviously you kidding me? We for- had to go undefeated. If that doesn't happen, we don't go undefeated in preseason. We were preseason champs. Remember how good that felt? Do you remember how good that felt? <laughs> We hit that game, that game winner, Kaloletta to Alonzo Russell, last play of the game, and it's like, yes. We walked it off. We are the undefeated preseason champs. I mean, Daniel Jones was like lit the preseason up. Things, times were happier, Justin. How depressing is it right now that we are Giants fans while the conference championships are happening this weekend? And we are reminiscing on how we were undefeated in the preseason. What has our what have our lives turned into, Bobby Skinner? Um, talking Giants. <laughs> we have to talk about preseason. Alonzo Russell, remember? This is Glenda Jones, and I need to talk to uh, Marty. Would you ask her to please call me? Thank you. The Giants have to sign someone named Marty, so and we can interview him and be like, "Hey, Glenda Jones, wants to talk to you." <laughs> Daniel Jones's grandma. But anyway, I I want to I I think it's an underrated story that did happen this year was Scott Simonson and he went he went through that preseason injury. First of all, he got us back in that football game by the way. It was 29-13 at the time that he made that touchdown catch and then he put, you know, that that put that kind of started to fuel the comeback during that fourth preseason game that Bobby Skinner is now considering to be uh, one of his top 5 Giants games of all time apparently. Um <laughs> I can't believe we're doing this right but now. But his ability, his ability to come back, uh, it, 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 was, it was just a good story. His ability to come back after what was pretty considered a pretty serious injury, and you want to know what? Caught two passes, stepped foot on the football field again as a giant that season, even after he was technically cut. Um, I think it's a pretty good story. I would love to talk to Scott Simonson if he decides to come on the show. I think we'll get him on the show sometime this year. I talked to him a couple times. No big deal. Anyways, you talk with PFF, I talk with four-string tight ends. So, suck it, Justin. Um, (laughs) All right. I think that's the show. Oh, my gosh. Dude, we're going to have to restart the show. No, you're you're pulling my chain because you do this every every episode. We're going to have to restart, dude. No, we can keep the tight end part and we could just – we can just restart. We only have to do like 20 minutes. We just restart the first half. I legitimately do not believe you. Look it up. All right. We appreciate you guys. Pump fake. We'll see you guys possibly on Monday. If they sign him between this episode dropping and Sunday night, we'll do have an episode out on Monday. If not, we'll see you on our regular Tuesday. We appreciate you guys. We're starting to get unsolicited reviews, which feels good. I think we're, we're fourth out of all giants podcasts on reviews. And keep in mind that, most of these guys have been doing it for like three years plus or at least a, a full year more than us. Um, so that's cool. We're going to pass all those guys up in this offseason. We appreciate you guys. We've been getting a lot of support back. So we'll see you guys sometime next week. Enjoy the weekend. Until then, 
Let's go big blue.